Sure, appreciate it. It's always a blessing and uh, look forward to worshiping together. I look forward to Sunday singing together as a church. You know, the worship is part of the service. Uh, this, you know, it's not like we're just doing all these things just to get to this part. Now listen, uh, the preaching of God's word and God's word is the preeminent part of the service. But the music should be preparing our heart. It's an opportunity to worship the Lord. And, and Hebrews chapter number 13 talks about the praise of our lips being a sacrifice that we give to God. And what an opportunity it is whenever we have that chance to be able to lift our voices in praise to the Lord. And I hope that you take this time that whenever we're singing, whenever we're lifting our voices, we're not doing it for anybody else. We're doing it to worship the Lord. And what an opportunity that is. Hey, we're going to be in Mark chapter number 15 today. Mark chapter number 15. You can turn there in your Bibles you flip your way there, uh, pray for Jim. And what was his last name again, Katie? Pool. Jim Pool. So Katie's, Katie's brother. He's having some chest pains and some things this morning. And so be in prayer for him. In fact, here in just a minute, when we pray for, uh, for the message, uh, we'll, we'll pray for, lift up Jim's name in prayer as well. Mark chapter number 15, I believe this is message number 62 in the book of Mark. And uh, some of you are like, holy smokes, how in the world did you do that? So uh, 62 messages out of one book. Uh, But listen, it it has been a blessing to walk verse by verse through the book of Mark. Uh, We're right there at the end. In fact, we got one more week, Lord willing, that we're going to be diving into the book of Mark and then we're going to jump into a new book and start a new study. And uh, you say, man, we're going to do this again? Yeah, that's what we're going to do. We're going to keep on doing it until Jesus comes uh, and uh, just, just keep on preaching through the word of God. Why? Because this is where the power is, right here in this book. And uh, I look forward each week diving into God's Word, and I'm looking forward to continuing to do that throughout this year. We're going to talk a little bit about some vision. I know that we had mentioned this is uh, somewhat of a vision Sunday to this morning, and, and uh, we're going to be talking about some things as we're moving forward this year, and we'll, we'll mention some of those things at the end of the service. But as we get started this morning, let's have a word of prayer, and then we're going to dive into Mark chapter number 15 together this morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to give us to gather together, to be able to lift up your name and to worship you. I pray, God, that you'd be with Jim, who's having some heart issues this morning and chest pains. I just pray, God, that you'd help those to be taken away, that you give the doctors wisdom there and and help him to to make a full recovery uh, so that uh, he doesn't have any long uh, uh, issues that would would, uh, stick with him. And and Father, I just pray that you touch him right now. And uh, you're, you're the master physician, God, and you can do what only you can do. And we pray that that's exactly what you would do today. Now, Lord, I pray that as now as we focus our attention on your word, I pray, God, you know that there's many things in our, on our hearts, on our minds. You know, Lord, even this past week, there's been so many things that have been going on, and there's things that are going to be happening this week. And, God, it's easy for us to become so distracted by all these things. I pray for a few moments you'd help us to bring our thoughts into captivity and just to be able to focus on your word. I thank you, God, for being a gracious and a merciful God. God that is all-powerful, God that can do all things. And this morning, I pray, God, that we would lift up your name. I pray, God, that you would receive all the glory and the praise for what's done and said here. Help me, God, not to get in in the way of what you desire for these, these people to hear. And I pray, God, that your word would be magnified in such a special way as we look at these, these powerful verses this morning. Thank you for each one that's here, those that are watching online. Thank you, God, for for what you have already done and what you're going to do. And we pray all of these things in your son, Jesus Christ's precious name. Amen. Amen. Well, we're in Mark chapter number 15. We've reached really the end of the chapter. Last week, we walked down that path. 
with Jesus as he was beaten, as he was humiliated, as he was crucified on the cross. We listened as, as he cried out with a loud voice there at the end, it is finished before he gave up the ghost. We saw as the temple veil was rent in twain, rent in two top to bottom, that that veil that was two to three inches thick that separated the person, the people, the priest from the presence of God and how that was separated, how that was torn in two from top to bottom, symbolizing that no longer did we have to uh, go through a priest or anyone else to have access to God, but we can come boldly into His throne of grace. And then finally, we heard the words of that centurion guard who had been in charge of much of the the persecution, much of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ on that day. And we, we saw, we heard as he stood before Jesus after Jesus had died. And as he looked and as he said those words, truly, this was the Son of God. But that centurion wasn't the only one who was there at the cross that day. There were some others, some other people that surrounded him, some other people that were there along with them. And we're going to look at a few of those here this morning. And Mark chapter number 15, look with me, if you would, at verse number 40. The Bible says this, There also were women looking on afar off, among whom was Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the Less, and Joseph, and Salome, who also, when he was in Galilee, followed him and ministered unto him, and many other women which came up with him into Jerusalem. First of all, there was a group of women that were there that had watched the the crucifixion of Jesus, among whom was Jesus' mother. Now we know in another scripture, I believe it's in the book of John, that, that the Bible tells us while Jesus was hanging there on that cross, that he looked down and he cried out, John, behold thy mother, speaking of, of, of Mary. Now Mary was not John, the disciple's mother. But what was Jesus saying in that moment? As Jesus suffering in anguish on the cross. Jesus with, with nails pierced through His hands, through His feet. Jesus, uh, whenever He would speak, having to pull Himself on those nails just to take a breath, just to get some words out. The excruciating pain uh, that He suffered while He was there. He looked down and what was He saying? He said, John, take care of my mother. Treat her like she's your own. Isn't it amazing that even when Jesus was in the greatest amount of pain and suffering, that he was thinking about others? I mean, here he is in immense suffering, and he's looking down and he's worried about his mom. Hanging on that cross and he cries out, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. I don't know about you, but whenever I get hurt, there's only one person that I'm thinking about. <laughs> whenever, whenever you're walking through the house at night and it's dark, last night uh, we, were, uh, we, we, we were getting ready for bed and things and we shut the lights off and, and I was walking to our bedroom and it was just, for some reason, it was just, it was just extra dark and, and the, I mean, there was, just, there was no light. My eyes weren't adjusting. I'm walking through the, and I'm walking through like this because I, I know me. I'm going to run into something, probably right into a wall, okay? I mean, that's just the way it is. And I mean, you're walking through like this. Well, you know, we've all probably been there where you're walking through at night or something. And what happens? You stub your toe. And in that moment, 
I had a teacher in Bible college used to say, and, and listen, this wasn't me that said it, it was him, okay, so you can pin it to him. But he used to say, uh, you know, he said, I don't cuss, I don't curse, but sometimes when I do things like that, if you wrote them down on a piece of paper, I might sign my name to it. Listen, friend, uh, I mean, you, you get in some of those moments where you do that, there's only one person that you're thinking of, and that's yourself. Oh, man, the pain, the anguish that you're feeling. I mean, you go through something in your life, it's a difficulty that you're facing, and what's the only thing that you're thinking of? Me. Me. I'm the only one that I think of. Oh, it'd be good for us to follow the example of Jesus. But as he's hanging there on the cross, he's thinking of others. How amazing. Well, listen, one of the best ways to get out of the, the depression that oftentimes pain and suffering can put us in is to take our eyes off of ourselves and put them on somebody else. Find someone to serve, find somebody to love, find someone to to check up on and and, and to reach out to. This morning we were talking in Sunday school as we were finishing up that book on on making friends and, and how vital, how important that it is in our own life that if we're truly going to have friends, what do we have to do? We have to show ourselves friendly, right? That's what the Bible tells us. And how do we do that? Well, we have to think of others before we think of ourselves. Jesus is there on the cross. We see the centurion is there. The, these, these ladies are there watching Jesus. But there was another person that was there as well. Uh, the Bible tells us in verse number 42, uh, And now when the evening, even was come, evening was come, because it was the preparation, that is the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea. Okay, so we have another guy. Joseph of Arimathea is there. And we're going to talk about him a little bit. That we know a few things about him. In another gospel, the, the, in the gospel of Mark, it refers to him and it says that he was a rich man. Uh, this, this guy had some money. He, 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 was, he was fairly wealthy. In fact, we know that he had to be because he had a tomb uh, carved out of the rock uh, that, that eventually we'll see that he put Jesus in. That was unusual. You had to have some money to have a tomb carved in a rock like that. This guy was a man of extreme and exceeding wealth. So he was a very wealthy man. But we see something else about him. Look there again at verse number 42. or Verse number 43. Joseph of Aaron Arimathea, an honorable counselor, which also waited for the kingdom of God, came and went in boldly unto Pilate and craved the body of Jesus. Now, this is interesting because what it says there is that he's an honorable counselor. An honorable counselor. Now, now what, what is that talking about? What does that mean? Well, if you, if you look back over at Mark chapter number 14 in your Bible, in verse number 15, we find out exactly what council he belonged to. In Mark chapter number 14, verse number 55, we find the Bible says, and the chief priest and the council sought for witness against Jesus to put him to death and found none. You'll remember just a few weeks ago as we talked about Jesus being there before that initial crowd, that crowd that came and had taken Jesus from the garden and as they were bringing their accusations, trying to find something they could level against Him. And you'll remember as the, the groups, the people would come forward and as they're trying to bring these accusations and nothing is sticking until finally the high priest comes forward and he says, listen, he says, are you truly the Son of the blessed? Are you truly the Son of God? And Jesus says, yes, well, you got me on the one thing that I am guilty of. I am God. I am 
the Son of God. Amongst that crowd on that day was another man, the man that we're looking at right now, Joseph of Arimathea. You know, as Joseph, this man, he was, he was a part of that Sanhedrin. He was a part of that group. But while he was a part of that group, he hadn't just gone along with their plans. In fact, in, in Luke chapter number 23, the Bible says this about him. And behold, in verse number 15, behold, there was a man named Joseph, a counselor. And he was a good man and just. And it says this about him. The same had not consented to the counsel and deed of them. Okay, so the Bible tells us that here Joseph was. And there, there they are on that day. The, the, the council was brought Jesus. They're trying to find something that they can accuse him of and bring him and accuse him and get him guilty so that they can condemn him to death. And so here they are. And I can't help but wonder if maybe the reason that they couldn't get their testimonies to agree with each other, they couldn't get their accusations to line up, I can't help but wonder if it wasn't because Joseph was sitting there the whole time going, hey, well, but what about this? You said this and you said that. These things don't go together. Ah, man, he got us again. And then some other guys came along and and, and this guy says this story and this guy says this story and oh, we got him, we got him. And old Joseph Arimathea speaks up and he says, yeah, but what about this? You guys guys weren't even there. You you guys are making all this up. I I was with you in that. Ah, Joseph, quiet, okay? That's what the Bible says that he did. He didn't go along with the deeds of them. He wasn't uh, in agreement with putting Christ to death. In fact, he was a secret follower of Christ. The Bible tells us here in Mark that he waited for the kingdom of God to come. He was a follower of Jesus. He was a disciple of Jesus. But just like all the other followers on that day, At some point, he stopped standing. And at some point, his voice quieted. And he just fell back into the rest of the multitude. The rest of the crowd. You see, because to identify himself as a follower of Jesus could have had deadly consequences. So with heartbreak, he had quieted his voice and just disappeared into the crowd. But now Jesus had been crucified. He had watched the suffering, the anguish that Jesus had gone through. He had watched Jesus cry out on the cross and say, it is finished. And now Jesus' lifeless body was hanging there on that cross. And the, the events of that day, the cries of Jesus on the cross, it had given Him a renewed boldness. The Bible tells us in verse number 43 that he went in boldly unto Pilate and craved the body of Jesus. Boldly he made his way in and he begged for Jesus' body to take him and to bury him. It's interesting because it tells me that you can be a good person, an honorable person, And still struggle with boldness for Jesus. What would it take for you to be bold for Christ? What would it take for you to truly stand against the crowd and identify with the Lord? For Joseph, he had to see Christ hanging on the cross. He had to hear 
Jesus cry out, it is finished. He had to watch him die right there in front of him. But it was that that gave him boldness. Friend, we spent the whole service last week looking at the cross. Let me ask you, were you bold for him this week? Did you stand for Christ this week? You can be a good, honorable follower of Christ and still fail at being bold for Him. In fact, I would say that that is the very definition of most Christians in the world today. Christians that are good, honorable followers of Christ. But not bold. Not bold. Would anyone say that you're a bold witness for Christ. We were talking this morning in Sunday school, so many times we think, well, if I'm going to be a witness for Christ, that means that i got to be a preacher or something. But we were talking this morning, for those of you that had the opportunity to come to our outdoorsman night and things on on, on Friday, we'll talk more about that later, but... But Chad shared that stood. Chad is just a hunter. That's what he does. He, He travels and he hunts. But he took what he does and he uses what he does to be a witness for Christ. He took where God has put him in his life and uses it as a platform to be a witness for the cause of Christ. What about you? What about me? What about each of us? God has given each of us a platform in our life, whether we realize it or not. There are people that we have influence over. There are people that we speak with that, listen, this preacher will never have a chance to talk to. will never be able to have an impact on like you could. Are you bold for Christ? Are you a bold witness for Him? It's great to be a good, honorable person, but listen, we need more who will be bold for Jesus. And in the book of Ephesians, Paul had just talked about the, the, the whole armor of God and putting on the whole armor of God. And as he finishes talking about the whole armor of God, at the end, he, he gets a little bit selfish, really. I mean, you think of the Apostle Paul, selfish, really? Yeah, he does. He gets to the end of it. And here's what he says at the end of chapter number 6, verse number 18. He says, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication of all saints. He says this, and for me. And he says, okay, guys. He says, I've told you all these other things that you're going to put on. You can put on the helmet, and you can put on the breastplate, and you put on the, 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 the preparation of the gospel. You can put on all these different things. But he says, guys, for me... I need something from you. What is it? For me. Pray for me. That utterance may be given unto me. That I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. For which I am an ambassador in bonds. That therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Listen, the apostle Paul, what did he say? He said, listen, I got a prayer request for you. He said, will you pray for me? But pray specifically this. Pray that God will give me boldness. Say the Apostle Paul? (laughs) I mean, this guy, by testimony, uh, through inspiration of God, said two times in the book of Colossians that he preached the gospel to the whole world. And the Apostle Paul comes and he says, listen, uh, guys, I need something from you. Church at Ephesus, I need something from you. I don't need your money. You can, I, mean, I mean, that's great. You can give it. But listen, that's not what I need. I need your prayers. But I need your prayers specifically for one thing. Pray for me that I would have some boldness. What? I mean, 
You open up the New Testament, and the Apostle Paul wrote most of the books of the New Testament. And here he is praying, God, give me boldness. Pray for me. I need boldness. Listen, friend, if the Apostle Paul needed boldness and he prayed, hey, pray for me, I need boldness, it'd probably be good for us to pray that as well. Because my guess is most of us probably aren't the Apostle Paul. <laughs> if, the, if we were, I have a feeling Whitehall and, and Twin Bridges and Sheridan and Butte and, and all the towns around us would probably be different, okay? Because when the Apostle Paul went someplace, people knew when he left. Because he made a difference. Because he was bold. And in our life, it's so easy to just be a good, honorable follower of Christ. But not to be bold like the Lord desires for us to be. Joseph of Arimathea, in his renewed boldness, he came and he begs Pilate for the, the body of Jesus. Pilate was stunned that Jesus was already dead. In fact, the Bible tells us in verse number 44 that Pilate marveled, if it were, that he were already dead. And it says, and he calling unto him, the centurion, he asked him whether he had been any while dead. And when he knew it of the centurion, he gave the body to Joseph. And he bought fine linen and took him down and wrapped him in the linen and laid him in a sepulcher, which was hewn out of a rock and rolled a stone onto the door of the sepulcher. So here the Bible tells us that, that, that Joseph of Arimathea, he comes and he says, listen, Pilate, he says, listen, buddy. And they knew each other because Joseph of Arimathea was, was a Sanhedrin. And they had contact with, the, with each other. He just saw him earlier that day. He comes to him and he says, listen, he says, I need the body of Jesus. And Pilate says, there's no way that he could be dead already. I mean, there's, there's no way. I mean, it, it usually takes people, I mean, hours, days even for them to die. In fact, oftentimes those that were crucified on the cross, they'd have to break their, their legs so that they could no longer take any more breath so they would suffocate. There's no way that they could be, that he could be dead already. He calls the centurion. Remember that guy from last week? Calls him in. Says, is he really dead? Already? I mean, I kind of think that Pilate thought that a miracle was going to happen. Remember, he knew that Jesus was innocent. He knew that, that all the accusations, there was nothing that could have, that have actually stuck. He's the one that put above Jesus, the king of the Jews. He, I, he'd heard the stories about Jesus. I kind of think that maybe he thought that Jesus was going to do some type of miracle and come off of the cross. Is he really dead? And then the centurion comes in and says, yeah, he's dead. He's dead. He says, listen, we already put the spear into his side. Listen, he's dead. So Pilate says, okay, you can have his body. So they take Jesus' body down, and the Bible tells us that he wraps him in linen, and he places him in that tomb. And they roll that door, that stone in front of the door. We know it's at this point that the chief priests and the Pharisees, they came to Pilate and they asked him to secure the door of that tomb. And in Matthew chapter number 27 and verse number 62, it says, Now on the next day they followed, that followed the day of the preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees came together unto Pilate saying, Sir, we remember that the deceiver said that he was, uh, while he was yet alive, after three days I will rise again. Command, therefore, that the sepulcher be made sure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away. 
and say unto the people, he's risen from the dead, so the last error shall be worse than the first. They said, listen, we've already screwed up. We don't want to make an even bigger mistake. Pilate said unto them, you have, have a watch, go your way, make it as sure as you can. So they went and made the sepulcher sure, sealing the stone and setting a watch. Now listen, this is super, this is super important for us to understand. Jesus physically died and was buried. Now listen, I know I'm talking to the church here and everybody here is like, yeah, okay, we, we know that. But understand the world that we live in today, there are a lot of people, in fact, from the time of Christ until now, that make up all kinds of excuses and say, well, he didn't really die. Well, he, he never, his body was never even placed in that tomb. It, it, that, 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 that's just not true. He didn't rise from the grave. In fact, in, in the Islam religion, in the, in the Quran, it actually says in the Quran that Jesus didn't actually die. The world wants us to believe that. No, no, he, he didn't actually die. I mean, he, he, just, he just was asleep. There, there are those that believe that it wasn't even Jesus that was actually crucified. It was somebody that just looked like him. But if that was the case, why in the world would this religious crowd come to, to Pilate and say, listen, we've already screwed up. We don't want to screw up even more. And let, I mean, if his body disappears, it's going to be big. We don't want to make an even bigger mistake than what we've already made. we got to make sure that there is no way that his body could be taken from that tomb. They knew that he was dead. They knew he was in the tomb. And they were going to make for sure that he wasn't coming back out. Pilate said, yeah, go ahead. And so they got a band of soldiers. We talked about this before. That, that, that a band of soldiers, it could have been upwards of 90 guards, 80, 90 guards that could have been. I mean, they had a group of men guarding this tomb to make sure that Jesus was dead and nobody was taking him out of there. But here's the thing. Three days later came the first day of the week. And as that sun rose, everything changed. Look at verse number, number uh, 47. The, the Bible tells us this in, in Matthew 15. 47, and Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of Joseph, beheld where he was laid. And when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome had brought sweet spices and they might come and anoint him. And very early in the morning, the first day of the week, they came into the sepulcher at the rising of the sun. And they said among themselves, who shall roll us away the stone from the door of the sepulcher? Listen, if there's any question about the size of the stone, these three women were coming there and they're saying, how in the world are we going to get this thing open? We want to anoint his body, but how in the world are we even going to get in there? There's no way for us to get in there. And those Roman guards aren't going to roll it away for us. How are we going to get in there? What are we going to do? I mean, this thing's so big, there's no way we can't do it. How are we going to get in there? And just for those that wonder, maybe you're watching online and you think, well, maybe it was the disciples. I mean, there was a group of them. Maybe they're the ones that do it. Listen, we've already seen Peter's incredible sword skills on the night in the garden. 
as he pulled it up, swung at the head, and cut off the ear. Okay, listen. Nobody came to steal the body of Jesus. The guards made sure of it. The chief priests, the scribes, the Pharisees, they made sure of it. Jesus was in that tomb. He wasn't coming out. We're not making this mistake twice. Look at verse number 4. And when they looked, they saw that the stone was rolled away, for it was very great. I mean, what? The, the stone, it's, it's open. And in, Now listen, okay, I love, we talk about this all the time, okay? I mean, we just, we just miss things, okay? We read the Bible, and we just read the pages, and we read the words, and we don't actually think about what's actually happened. So think about this with me, okay? And entering into the sepulcher, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, clothed in a long white garment, and they were affrighted. Okay. A lot of times we read verse number five, we just jump to verse number six. But understand what happened here, okay? They're walking to the tomb. It's early in the morning. They know the Roman soldiers are going to be all over the place. The stone's going to be rolled in front of the door. No way they're going to be able to get inside of this thing. They walk up, and all of a sudden the door's open, and the guards are like dead men. Uh Uh-oh, what happened? Oh man, I hope Jesus' body's still in there. I hope somebody didn't rob his, his, his body. What a terrible thing. Somebody steal the body of Jesus. That's awful. They rush over there to the sepulcher. They walk inside. They look over to the left. There's nothing there. They look to the right and the guy's sitting there in a white robe. Hey there. They were affrighted, the Bible says. Now listen, I'm not going to scream because I don't want to wake up babies, okay? But listen, they were affrighted, okay? They were terrified. They were scared to death whenever they got in there. It's a ghost, okay? That's what they were thinking. They were absolutely terrified. In fact, in verse number six, he says unto them, be not affrighted. (laughs) I just love this. Hey, guys, it's okay. Don't be afraid. I mean, like, can you imagine what this would be like? Listen, uh, Tressa is the worst at, at getting scared of things, okay? We've talked about this before. I've told you this before, but listen... I don't know what she thinks. I I, I, have come to believe that Tressa believed there's somebody else that lives in our house besides me, and they're a very scary person, okay? Uh, Because, I mean, like, I'll just walk through the house, and she'll see me, and she she screams. Last night, okay, I I walked into the kitchen, okay? I I live in this house, all right? I mean, it's crazy. I, I, I walked into the kitchen. She's in there doing something, making some dinner or something like that. I just walk into the kitchen, and as I'm standing there, she turns around, and she screams, and she had food in her mouth, and she was like, oh, almost choked. I was like, who did you think it was? I mean, like, I'm not, I mean, I am no ninja, okay? I don't walk quietly, all right? I, you knew I was in this house. Hey, listen, friend, I mean, can you just imagine? They're walking in here expecting a dead man, hopefully, to be sitting inside of here, and here is this guy sitting there in a white robe. They were frightened. He says, oh, don't be afraid. It's okay. Listen, this was quite the scene. Look at what the Bible says. Be not afraid, frightened. Ye seek Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth, which was crucified. Oh, but here it is. He is not here. He is risen. He is not here. Behold the place where they laid him. He's not here. Jesus Christ is, is arisen. Jesus Christ is alive. He's not here. 
Oh, listen, friend, this is the the story of the whole gospel. What is the gospel? Well, we talked about it. And and, and 1 Corinthians chapter number 15, Paul gives us a snapshot of what the gospel is. In verse number 1, he says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel. Which I preached unto you, which also ye have, ye have received, wherein ye stand. He says, it's by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory that which I preached unto you, unless you believed in vain. He says, listen, okay, now I preached to you the gospel. I've given the gospel to you. And he said, it's the, it's the message that I preached to you, that, that listen, if you received it, you are saved. You have salvation. We, we talk about being saved. It's a biblical word. It's a biblical thing. Listen, he says, where you're, you're saved if you have believed, unless you believed in, in vain. What is he saying there? Well, unless you didn't actually believe. Unless you just made a profession, but it wasn't a real decision. You didn't actually mean that decision. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received. Hey, here it is. How that Christ died... For your sins, according to the scriptures. And he was buried. And he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. Listen, friend, praise God that Jesus died on the cross for you and for me. If he did not die on the cross for you and for me, then everything is in vain. Everything is in vain. Every person under the sound of my voice today, listen, friend, is going to die one day. Every person in this room is going to breathe their last breath. We don't like to think about it, I know. Nobody likes to think about one day our life is going to come to an end. We don't, we don't like to think about that. But the truth is, it's a reality. Just this past week, a, a man that, that I grew up knowing from the church in Indiana I grew up in, listen, he breathed his last breath and went into eternity. Listen, it happens every day, and we have no guarantee that we're going to have another day with another breath. Hebrews chapter number 9, verse number 27 says, And is appointed unto man once to die. And after that, the judgment, an appointment that you will not miss, you won't be late for. The appointment, the day that you are going to breathe your last breath. Contrary to what Hollywood can't seem to figure out, that isn't the end. Your decision about what to do with Jesus' death makes all the difference in which destination you will spend eternity. You will consciously either spend eternity in heaven or a lake of fire for all of eternity. The Bible tells us in Romans 6.23 that the wages of our sin is death. But God commendeth His love. He demonstrated. He showed His love to us. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's why His death is so important. Because if He didn't actually die, this is all just a fraud. What in the world are we doing here? But He did die. The chief priests and the scribes, the Pharisees, they knew it. The centurion knew it. Joseph of Arimathea, he knew it. Jesus died. He paid the payment for you and for me. It's interesting. The Bible tells us that the wage of our sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus gives us the gift of eternal life, and it's amazing how whenever we, we get a, a, a gift or somebody does something for us, maybe somebody buys us lunch, what do we do? We say thank you. But so many say no thanks when Jesus offers to pay for your eternity. Jesus' payment is sufficient Because not only did he die, he was buried. 
Three days later, the tomb was empty because he rose from the grave. First Corinthians 15 gives us further, further proof of this. After he talks about what the gospel is, proving that it's Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, he goes on in verse number 5 and he says this, and that he was seen of Cephas, or Peter, and then of the twelve. And after that he was seen of five hundred brethren at once, whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. This is important. What was he saying there? He says, listen, Peter saw Jesus after he rose. The disciples saw Peter after he arose. But listen, I got something else. Five hundred people at one time saw Jesus after he arose. And you know what he says here? He says, listen, if you don't believe it, you can just go ask them. Yes, some of them have already died, but many of them are still alive. So if you don't believe it, just go ahead and go ask them. They saw him with their own eyes. They were right there with him. After that, he was seen of James. Then of all the apostles, and last of all, he was seen of me also as one born out of due time. See, the gospel is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. And you have to accept and believe it all, or you can't receive that gift of eternal life. You don't get to pick and choose and say, oh yeah, I believe that he died for me, but I don't believe that he rose. No, 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 friend. you got to believe the whole thing. It's all or nothing. Romans chapter number 10, verse number 9 and 10. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. It isn't Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, and your baptism. It isn't Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, and your good works. It isn't Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection and your attendance at church that saves you. No, it is Jesus Christ and His death, burial, and resurrection and that alone that saves you. That is the gospel. That is what it's all about. That's what the book of Mark has been all about from the very beginning. We already talked about Mark chapter number 1, verse number 1 last week, where the Bible tells us that that the centurion looked and he said, that was the Son of God. And we saw last week that the Bible tells us in Mark 1, 1, that that, that this is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Listen, friend, the book of Mark, it's all about two things. There are really one thing. It's all about Jesus Christ being the Son of God, And it's all about the gospel. That Jesus came to this earth and he died, he was buried, and then he rose again. Now I love what the angel tells the the ladies there in verse number 7 and 8. He says, but go your way. Tell his disciples, don't miss it, and Peter, that he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall ye see him. And he said unto you, and they went out quickly and fled from the sepulcher, for they trembled. I mean, they were still terrified, okay? They trembled and were amazed. Neither said they anything to any man, for they were afraid. They were in shock. That's just what it was, okay? These, these ladies were in shock of the events that just happened. But don't miss what, what, what he said in verse number seven. Go your way, tell the disciples and Peter. Don't... Don't forget whose perspective the book of Mark is written from. It's written from the perspective of Peter. Of Peter. Peter, in shameful fashion, had denied and rejected Christ. He wasn't just not bold. 
He had totally turned his back on Jesus. And now God has sent an angel to tell these ladies that Jesus has risen and he wanted them to go and to tell the disciples. But there was one in particular that he wanted to hear this message. Peter. It's amazing because we don't know that anyone else knew at this time what Peter had done. No one was was there with Peter when he denied Christ. No one was standing there with him when he stood by the fire and he was questioned any of those three times. We have no proof that, that anyone that was in the immediate circle of Christ had heard Peter reject Christ. And, and I guarantee you this, Peter did not leave on that night and go and tell everybody that he did it. Because when's the last time that you failed Christ and you went and told everybody about it? No, we, we want to hide it. We don't want anybody to know. At this moment, I, I really don't think anybody knew what Peter had done. And Peter's telling Mark all these years later, he says, Mark, when Jesus arose, that angel said, listen, go tell the disciples, but Mark, I want you to write this because this is important. He said, and go tell Peter. Mark, I failed him miserably. I didn't deserve his grace and his mercy, but when he rose again, he wanted me to know he wasn't done. He wasn't finished. And we know that it was Peter who boldly stood just a few days later, preached the gospel, and 3,000 people got saved. The death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ is there to save us. And if you've never accepted Christ as your Savior and you're here this morning or maybe you're watching online, listen friend, that's where it all begins. You have to realize that you are a sinner, that you need a Savior, you need to be forgiven for your sin and you have to ask Christ to forgive you for your sin. But listen friend, that the death, burial, and the resurrection is also there to embolden us to take the truth of the gospel to those around us. Friends, we wrap up the book of Mark next week. We're going to hear Christ's commission to us. And, and I don't want to spoil next week's message. And so we won't get too far into it. But would you ask God today to give you boldness like you've never experienced? Maybe you have been in the place of Joseph of Arimathea. And your voice is quieted in the midst of the crowd. Today, see the gospel fresh and anew. And go forward with boldness for Christ. Maybe you're afraid like the ladies that came to the tomb and, 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 and you don't know what to say and you're, you're a little bit scared. Listen, friend, there's a message that you are commanded to take with you. Take it with boldness. Maybe you can identify with Peter this morning. No one knows how you failed Christ, but you do. I'll hear the hope from the angel's voice. Put your name in the place of Peter. But go your way and tell his disciples and put your name there. Because the Lord wants you to know that he's not done. The Lord wants you to know that he's got a purpose for your life. And maybe you've lived your entire life for yourself all the way up to this point. But this morning, you recognize that God has a purpose for you. 
And you can go forward in the power of God and the power of Christ with boldness. You can be the witness that God desires for you to be. You can fulfill the purpose that God has placed you on this earth for. Friend, this morning, choose today to go forward for Christ with boldness. See Him on the cross. See Him in the grave. But realize He's not there anymore. And allow that to embolden you to take the gospel to those that don't know Christ and they need help. Let's have every head bowed and every eye closed this morning. This morning, if the Holy Spirit spoke into your heart, we're going to have a brief time to just do some business with the Lord, to be able to spend a few moments in talking with Him. And, and this morning, if the Holy Spirit spoke into you, I'd encourage you just respond to Him, to, to take a few moments and talk with Him. Maybe you're here this morning and, and you just need to pray and just ask the Lord to give you some boldness. Give you some boldness at your work. Give you some boldness with your family. Give you some some boldness just in your daily life as you're going here and there and doing different things. God, give me boldness. Oh, it's so easy to allow our voice to be quieted. It's so easy to fall into that place of shame because of failure. To spend our whole life thinking God could never use me. Oh, but God wants to use you. And if He'll allow you, if you allow Him, he can make you bold. The bold witness for Christ. I hope you pray this morning and say, God, help me to be bold. To be a bold witness for you. With heads bowed and with eyes closed, let's stand together as the music plays. And you take a few moments and spend some time with the Lord. Father,